Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast. So... It's not a live broadcast, so please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr, and I'll be joined by my co-host, Amplier Squatset, George Cup. Hello, everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the evening. So tonight, we will be discussing, should the Brexit transition period be extended due to the coronavirus? What is the best approach for the British government to take to recover from a post-lockdown economic slump? And lastly, will physical money ever cease to exist? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked for you guys to send in your non-political questions for me and George to answer. 
Um, and we've heard some really interesting questions in. So the first one's from Ben. Ben says, I was reading this ridiculous news story about Brian May, Brian May, sorry, uh, from Queen, ripping some muscle whilst he was doing his gardening. And I got into thinking about how Brian May's legacy was kind of ruined for me when he started going on the news talking about badgers. It got me thinking, Kappinger, do you think that when artists get involved in politics, it ruins their appeal? Does it ruin it for you? Like, do you have any respect for Brian May now? It's a shame because he's such a musical icon. But now I feel like people look down on him because he did a whole campaign for badgers. Well, <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what Ben's got against badgers. That's how I <laughs> George, what, what, what do you make of that? Well, um, I I have to be honest here. So my my boss Roger Gale, he works very closely with Brian May because they are both um, massively part of animal welfare and ensuring that animals um, are well looked after. And Roger was kind of on this campaign with Brian May uh, to try and tackle uh, badger culling and everything like that. I can kind of see where where Ben is coming from when people that are in the music industry do get involved with with political arguments that you could argue they might not necessarily have an, a clue about. I think it's when kind of artists like that argue about how um, they feel sorry for people living on the breadline and everything like that. And I think it's really, really hard for, for us to kind of respect those people that do that because quite often they've never experienced that and they are living a very lovely life of luxury. However, in Brian May's situation, I think that he is absolutely right to, to campaign for animal welfare and, and especially around badges. It's a very damning and hard situation um, and it needs to be stopped. And I think in those situations, we absolutely need all the support we can get, whether it's from celebrities, um, from people from the royal family, um, influencers online or member of parliament. And and I think it's so important that we get those people behind arguments like this. I think as well that there is no harm in, in celebrities having a, an opinion on this, but as long as they can put that to one side when it comes to their music career. Um, it, for me personally, Ben, it doesn't take away anything of, of the absolute legend that I believe Brian May is of an absolute good, amazing guitar player and, and part of the band of Queen um, just because he's trying to stand up for Badgers. But how about you, Callum? I, I don't know what your opinion is on Badgers. I don't know whether you're on, on Ben's side here. <laughs> I absolutely hate Badgers, George. <laughs> <laughs> and, no, I mean, I, to be honest, I... I I didn't even know that Brian May talked about badges a lot before Ben sent in this opinion. So I, I had to to look that up a little bit about him, obviously, um, being massively campaigning against the culling of, um, of badges. Um, and I think on the, the broad question in terms of Ben, of whether or not I think that artists get involved in politics, it kind of ruins their appeal. Um, personally, I, I agree with George. I don't think it does. Um, I think generally artists quite often actually do have a history of, of getting involved in in politics, as it were. I mean, uh, Bob Dylan, for example, a lot of his songs became kind of like anthems for the civil rights movement and for the anti-war movement. Um, and, and there's a lot of artists where they've at least had that ambition, I think, to, to provide a kind of social commentary on, on things that are going on. Um, and in terms of um, whether or not it ruins Brian May for me and whether it ruins Queen for me, 
Um, again, I'd say um, probably not. But I mean, obviously, as I said, I didn't know that Brian May um, really is campaigning um, for, for badges as such. So I suppose I'm probably not the best person to ask about that. <laughs> um, right, let's move on to our second opinion and it comes from from Alicia and she says ever since we've been in lockdown I've been obsessed with the same thing everyone else has been obsessed with TikTok I'm really interested in knowing if you two like TikTok too I feel like Callum is probably into it but George probably doesn't have time for it I don't know though also do you think that TikTok will be a long lasting thing like Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp or more of a fade like Snapchat I can't call it because on one hand it's really gimmicky, but also it's more addictive than any of those apps. Well, Callum, how are your TikTok videos going? <laughs> I don't have a TikTok account. I don't. <laughs> I don't have the app, um, and I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not massively into TikTok, to be honest. George is big time into TikTok, or at least you did go through like a. A week or so where you were making a lot of TikTok videos and and I, I haven't I mean obviously as a, I say I don't have TikTok so I don't know if you're making them now but you're certainly not sending them to the group chat um, <laughs> at such a frequency um, in terms of whether or not I think <laughs> that TikTok's going to kind of go the way of uh, of Snapchat or Vine um, I, I think that it probably will go m more in the way of Vine um, in terms of, I think it probably is a bit of a fad, um, and I, I think probably it'll be replaced by another app that does basically what TikTok does, but then adds on a new feature which we didn't know we wanted and maybe we don't actually need. Um, but suddenly it means everyone switched over to that. Um, that's what I think, but that's as someone who is a, a novice in terms of TikTok because I've, I've never really used it. I've watched a couple of the videos when people send them to me. Um, George, what do you think? Well, I, I think that during lockdown, TikTok has been one of those things that have allowed so many people to, I don't know, kind of reach out to a wider audience and, and be a little bit more social as well. Um, I use my TikTok as a platform to try and engage with, especially with my constituents, um, <laughs> And I try and put a smile on their face. And that that ultimately is is the only reason that I do TikTok or did do TikTok. Because um, if I can try and spread that little bit of happiness and smile, then that I feel as if I've, I've kind of done a, my job better. Um, and I think TikToks are also allowing people to really ha bring out their creative side. Um, and we did go through a period where TikToks were really original. And, and unfortunately, I think TikTok has already started to stack in terms of that originality, um, where we are now starting to see a lot of uh, copies coming out in videos. But even still, there are they are still fantastic. Um, but I do agree that the TikTok will start to fade down because... Obviously, as people go back to work or school, um, I think that that time that people have to do a TikTok, because I can tell you now from experience, TikTok takes forever to do. Um, and the videos that I've produced are never a one take video. They take forever, especially the dance routines. I mean, I am absolutely appalling. Um, and there have been about 50 takes of those videos before they actually go up. Um, it is quite embarrassing. But I definitely do think that it will start to slow down. And I agree with Callum that there will definitely be something that comes out um, that kind of has a new gimmick with it or, or something along those lines to try and push it even more during a time when we're not just in lockdown. 
And George, I'm, I'm just on TikTok. I'm interested to know, when did you first hear about TikTok? Was it something during lockdown that you first heard about? Or had you heard of it before that? Or did yeah. you have it before that? No, no, it was during uh, during lockdown that I really heard about it. I've heard rumours of it before, but then during lockdown, my sister um, kind of pushed me and was like, oh, come on, let's do a TikTok. And I started watching the videos and I thought, you know what, they're actually quite fun. Um, so on one sunny Saturday afternoon, uh, my sister and I decided to uh, do some TikToks. And then I decided to go solo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that, I've, that kind of career has kind of come to an end now, I, I suppose. Yeah, you got a bit addicted, didn't you? Uh, I did. <laughs> uh, right, moving on to our uh, final question. Uh, it's from Louise. Louise says, this might be a bit random, but I was talking to one of my friends last week and this came up in conversation. We were talking about how people talk about sex nowadays and how that has changed so much over the past few years. We got onto a debate, um, though, about the taboo surrounding sex. My question is, do you think sex should have a taboo attached to it? I think it's an interesting question because sex does still have a taboo. People um, still don't openly talk about it. But do you think it should have that taboo? George, what do you think? Well, I, I think it's a really interesting um, question, actually. When it comes to sex, I don't think there is any... Um, any harm in openly discussing it and in actual fact I think that having a general conversation about about sex isn't actually that bad in, in terms of friendship groups and, and I think that is actually kind of quite healthy sometimes but in terms of the actual action of sex um, the taboo around it as I have said many a time on this show um, I suppose you could call me quite old-fashioned I think that the kind of action of sex has been used quite badly by um, some people where they will just um, talk to someone and then immediately use them for that purpose. And I, and I think that's where the language around sex has gone wrong and the doing of sex has gone wrong. And I think that that's where the taboo is should be put into place. Um, and, and that's something that I myself try and I don't know kind of keep to and respect to that it's it's not something just to, to do it should be between two people that actually have feelings for each other and, and it means something too um and that's ultimately my taboo around it but Callum are you kind of similar on those kind of grounds um yeah yeah I I, I am I mean in terms of talking about sex I, I think as George says um, amongst friends I think it's it's relatively okay as long as obviously everyone's comfortable um in discussing it because obviously everyone should have the right to privacy if that is what they want um it's not something I have any desire to talk to say uh, <laughs> my parents or grandparents about for example um but I think another thing about sex is that um that should be made less taboo is the idea of of girls um having sex effectively because i think i think there's this um almost a celebration of boys that have a lot of sex but the, but there's not always about the same about girls and i think i'm yeah. not necessarily advocating that that girls should go and have a lot of sex but what i'm saying is um that maybe we should be looking and making sure that we're treating both genders equally in terms of that Absolutely. and if we're going to condemn girls then we should condemn boys too um yeah but obviously that is um an age-old issue that probably won't be solved <laughs> but uh, remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment 
of next week's show, but we've reached the time for the first song break of this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, should the Brexit transition period be extended due to the coronavirus? So the coronavirus has had an impact on the negotiations between the UK government and the EU. This has led some to consider the desirability of an extension to the Brexit transition period. The government has repeatedly stated that it does not intend to request any extension. A one-off extension to the transition period is possible. Such an extension can be for no more than two years. It would need to be agreed by a decision of the UK-EU Joint Committee before the 1st of July 2020. The UK and the EU would need to agree both on the length of the extension and other terms, such as the UK's financial contribution to the EU budget for the extended period. So, Callum, I'm pretty sure I know how you are going to answer this, but should we have an extended transition period? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you're, you're pretty right in how I'm going to answer this. I, I mean, I, I would say, or I would caveat that I I do genuinely believe that it's not for kind of political benefit that that I think there should be a Brexit transition period extension. Um, I think the reality is that a lot of things have been shelved because of or postponed rather because of coronavirus and the Brexit transition period and the negotiations around that is something that has got to be postponed too. I mean, it was already going to be quite a mammoth task, to be honest, without coronavirus to to um, wrap up a kind of final um, post-transition period trading relationship between the UK and the EU. Um, and and that's without the coronavirus but with the coronavirus i mean it's for me i think it's just really impossible to see um that we could properly properly sort this without rushing um things through um but i i suspect my opinion's a bit less interesting on on this one because um as everyone knows i was a, a big um big ramona (laughs) <laughs> during the past couple of years so, so i'm very interested George, because i'm not actually sure how you're going to go with this i mean do, do you think that there should be some kind of um temporary extension well as as callum has correctly said and, and any long-term listeners of, of this show will know that i am the, the brexiteer of the pair um and that i have always vouched for the uk to come out of the eu however um i have always kind of stated that um, I fear for a no-deal Brexit. It's not something I particularly want, and it's not something that I believe will necessarily actually be that beneficial for this country. Um, I've always said that a deal, therefore, would be so much better, and, and I think that is in the best interest for everybody that voted in the EU referendum. So I think the biggest issue here is that let's not forget that if any kind of agreement cannot be um well agreed upon by the the december um then we will come out of the eu with no deal and for me that causes trouble i i don't believe that will actually be beneficial for this country 
it, firstly, in terms of because of the coronavirus that we have seen and the effects that it has had on the economy, but I'm not going to talk too much about that because I believe we will come onto that um, in the next question. And I think that by coming out of with no deal, it will put our economy into an even riskier position. So as much as it does genuinely hurt me to say, I do think that for the benefit of everything, of the economy, of, of jobs, of um, people's security, that we must ensure that we do seek an extension um, to the transition period. Now, I don't believe that it should be up to two years. I think that we should only seek an extra year on that transi transition period because I know there are discussions going on between the UK and the EU at the moment. Um, I don't know how progressive they are, but at the same time, I think once we are over this pandemic, if we ever do actually officially get over it, those discussions will be accelerated upon very quickly with the mindset that we will um, we need to get everything clarified by December. And again, my issue there is, is that will things be rushed? Will we miss things out? And I know there will be very clever people here trying to figure out the best route for both sides, the EU and the UK. Um, but I do still fear that if we rush this incredibly um, crucial relationship with the EU, then it could be disastrous, not just for us, but for the EU as well. Um, and that's why I think that this government should be seeking seeking um, a transition period, a longer transition period. But Callum, what do you think, I know we're going to ask um, our listeners during the next song break, but do you think the general public will actually kind of feel that it would be a good idea to extend the transition period? Or do you think ultimately people, as we saw in the last general election, people are fed up of Brexit and they want it over and done with. So do you think in actual fact it will tarnish the government's record if they don't extend it? Um, I, I think it's slightly different than um, last time or, or before the last election in that Brexit doesn't dominate the headlines um, in, in the way it did. And, and there's not that question about whether or not Brexit will happen now. It, it's fairly, it's political kind of common knowledge that um, Brexit is going to happen. Indeed, it to a certain extent already has happened. So on that regard, I'd say the public shouldn't um, be so fed up with Brexit and they shouldn't be so much like we just want this over with. Mm. But I do think there's a significant portion of people who are supporters of what Boris Johnson have, has done that maybe would turn their back on him and, and go back towards maybe the Brexit party and other more right-wing parties um, if to not agree, uh, or, or rather if they were to agree to extend this transition period. Um, what about you, George? I mean, obviously as a conservative member, it must be particularly worrying for you i mean are you are you worried that if there was to be an extension that, that this would possibly cost you votes i think there is that risk of of definitely if we do put an extension uh in place that we it, we could lose votes especially in the the uh seats that we gained from labor um across the red belt in the the northern part of england but at the same time i think that the actual pressure won't necessarily come from the public i think it will come from the members of parliament that are part of the erg the european research group um mm. which are a kind of uh, people that have always wanted to vote leave um, and wanted to get out of the eu that are mps people like jacob rees mogg um 
I, I think that that is where the main pressure will come from. And that's the main pressure that, that Johnson will feel. I think in the long run, if people, I, if an election was called during that transition period, I think conservatives will be very damaged. But as that won't happen, hopefully, yeah. um, I think people will see the long term effects of why it is necessary to encourage that transition period to ensure that we do get that better deal. Because let's not forget, that is what the Conservative government was elected on, is to get a deal with the European Union. It was on Johnson's deal that, that people voted for the Conservatives. And it wasn't on the platform of no deal that the Brexit Party standed on. The Brexit Party didn't even return any MPs or, or get any MPs. They had no no return. Um, so I think that ultimately that, yeah, the damage could be done for a very short period of time. But over the long, long term, I think it is definitely, definitely worth us seeking that extension. Do you... Are you quite surprised, Callum, of, of my approach on this, um, as it is widely known that I have always vouched for Brexit? Were you expecting me to come out with, no, we need to come out in December? No, I'm not actually massively surprised um, by you say by you being actually quite reasonable, George. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I think if this was two years ago, You'd have been arguing probably differently. Um, but I think that uh, without tooting your trumpet too much, George, I think uh, you've probably matured a lot more since then and, and can see that the reality is that surely there's got to be some kind of extension here. But just very, very quickly, George, um, obviously we've talked a, a lot about Keir Starmer and Labour's kind of rebirth under him. Um, but Keir Starmer's taken an approach to this, which is to let the government carry on negotiating for a little bit rather than demanding that they negotiate an extension right this second. Do you think that's the right approach or has he kind of taken his first um, step wrong when it comes to Brexit? No, I, I think in terms of that, I think he's kind of play trying to play a political game. She, he's trying to, to to kind of allow the Labour voters that I suppose they lost because of Brexit to to say, look, we are actually we're not going to pressure the government into a transition period because we will let them negotiate and see what they get out of it. I think when it gets closer to the time, that's when they will push for an extension. But right now, they need to make that ground up, especially in the polls. Um, and what a better argument to have than to say, look, we're supporting the government in negotiating. We don't want an extension because I think if Kia turned around and said that we want an extension, then it would be more damaging for their vote. Do you, do you kind of agree with that? Yeah, definitely. They, they don't want to. And last time Labour was seen as frustrating the will of the people or at least attempting to. So they definitely don't want to be seen as doing that again. So it's probably yeah. really smart politics, actually. And, uh, and how do you think this poll is going to go? Um, I think most people will say, yes, it should be extended. Um, I'm going to say 65% of people will say yes. What about you? I'm going to say that uh, 85% of people will say yes. But as always, there is only one way to find out, and that's for you guys to vote on the poll. Uh, should the Brexit transition period be extended due to uh, coronavirus? And you can do that at uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this.
Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, should the Brexit transition period be extended due to the coronavirus? And you guys have been voting away and the results have just come in. So 79% of you have said yes, that we should be uh, seeking an extension. And 21% of you said no. Well, Callum, we've gone back to the normal ways and I am closer. (laughs) Yes, you are. I mean, I'm... (laughs) I'm glad that you were closer, to be fair. It's, it's good to see. I mean, it, to me, it seems to suggest that Brexit now has become far less divisive and it just seems like common sense, really, to, to seek an extension because of, obviously, the disruption that coronavirus has caused. Right then, uh, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking, what is the best approach for the British government to take to recover from a post-lockdown economic slump? So this week has seen the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, admit that Britain is very likely to face a significant recession as a result of the economic upheaval the COVID-19 outbreak has caused. This comes on the back of the UK economy shrinking by 2% in the first three months of 2020, the worst contraction since the financial crisis. This decline is expected to continue over the next few months with an even greater drop. The last time the UK economy faced this predicament, virtually all parties were agreed that recovery should or would require some kind of dialing back of public spending in an economic policy which has been dubbed austerity. But this time, the solution appears to be far less concrete. The current government had famously declared the end of austerity shortly before the COVID-19 outbreak. But could the recent slump force it back on its word? Out of the following, what approach is the best for the Chancellor to take to arrest a post-lockdown slump? Would it be to increase taxes, introduce more austerity, keep to the pre-lockdown government agenda or other? George, what do you think? Well, I think there is no denying that we have seen how... I think, well, the government has been in in supporting those um, that need that financial support. And I'd absolutely congratulate the government for doing that um, during this pandemic. But obviously, all of that money that is being put out has to come at a price. And there is no denying in saying that what faces us after the pandemic won't particularly be pretty for for a little while. Um, And I do think that there is definitely the chance that we will be going into a recession um but i don't think it will be a big recession and i think that it will be a recession um that won't last very long because i think our economy will bounce back rather quickly people will want to spend a lot in 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 uh, shops they will want to stay local they will want to go on holidays in this country um just purely, I think, firstly, out of security and not going to places that have had the coronavirus. And secondly, because I think whilst we've been in lockdown, a lot of people have kind of appreciated more the local community that is around us. And because of that, it will encourage people to go out to their local shops, to spend in their high streets. Um, And things like that obviously boost our economy. It hurts me as a uh, conservative to look at a situation like this because i it, i uh, as a conservative believe in in encouraging businesses to growth and i don't believe that taxing anyone should be necessarily uh, done to a high extent um and i think that we 
shouldn't have to to always cut services back. But I think ultimately the way to move forward from a recession would unfortunately be to introduce more austerity measures. Now, I do not think that they will be strict as we saw over the last 10 years. And if they were, then I wouldn't be supporting this argument. In my opinion, if we were able to put some level of austerity measures in place, but ensure that in in other areas like our NHS, we were encouraging spending, encouraging development, encouraging investment, then it is something that I could get behind. Um, I don't think that increasing taxes would be of any benefit because when you increase taxes, you put off spending and as such, you actually kind of halt the growth of the economy. And I don't think that would be healthy. It really wouldn't be healthy to to encourage our economy to keep growing and to get back to how it was. And I think by allowing us to go into some level of austerity, very minor level of austerity, we can then carry on with the investment agenda that the government came into to, uh, government with after the general election. And I think that is the key thing. We will have to go through maybe a year or two of those small level austerity measures to then ensure that we can have that level of investment in the future. Callum, I know it's quite a, um, maybe not a popular opinion that I have, but what are your thoughts? Um, so I, I personally think that, um, that we shouldn't be looking to reintroduce austerity. It probably doesn't come as any great shock. Um, I, I think probably we've got to look at this in terms of in, in two phases, the, the kind of shorter term, which is when a recession first hits, and then the, the longer term in terms of recovering the government finances. Um, I think in the shorter term, we should be looking to keep relatively with what the government's agenda was um, in, in terms of investing money, um, trying to create jobs, trying to encourage spending and trying to just encourage confidence in the economy. Um, I think in terms of the longer term, that's when we should be looking once um, people's jobs are secured, um, or at least more jobs of people are secured and, and people's savings feel much safer as such. That's when we should be looking to obviously rein in public spending possibly um, and looking possibly at taxes as well to to regenerate the money and, and refill the government coffers. Um, I, I don't think um, that at this point in time that the economy could take more um, austerity. Um, I, I, I wonder what kind of social fabric there is to cut at this point. I mean, obviously, I think we're living in very different times to when we were um, after the 2008 or during the 2008 recession, um, because at that time we had just had a Labour government that had spent an awful lot of money. So there was an awful lot that, that could potentially be cut. We're now living... 10 years on from that um, with an economy that has been much more trimmed back in terms of government spending. We've got a much smaller state and I just don't see where those big savings will come from. Um, you know, we don't have things like tuition fees to then suddenly introduce and, and we don't have these these big kind of landmark decisions that the government made last time. So I think we need a different approach this time. Um, and I think that's also partly just because 
at this point in time, so many people's jobs are at risk. I mean, I know of three people at least who realistically um, are, are facing a threat to their job, not necessarily that they'll lose it. Um, but that's why it's so important, that I think, that the government keeps up um, keeps up spending okay. Obviously, it's going to cause some economic hardship longer term, but I, I think we've got to think about this in terms of a, a more staged program. I think I think what's interesting in, in picking up in what you're saying, Callum, is that um, it is very kind of easy to, to compare what a recession would look like comparing it to, to the last recession we faced. And let's not forget that was a recession that, that did come out over a long period of time. It was a development of, of many things over a long period of time as well. Yeah. Whereas obviously this is, is we would be facing a recession that has come from practically well what a matter of months of, of spending of very very high spending um and also lockdown which means our economy hasn't been turning as it normally would because mon- people mon- yeah. people haven't been spending the money that they normally would um and i and i think that i i, I just want to pick up as well one of the points that you said um i when you said to introduce austerity in, in the way i argued i I don't believe in, in in bringing austerity in to the high levels of what we had, and I and I want to really get that point across that I don't think that should be happen at all. And if it did happen, then I wouldn't be supporting this argument. I think it so, really. Sh- so does that mean? Do you think that because you you obviously ruled out increasing taxes, but but surely you either have to have severe austerity or you'll have to have some kind of mix, wouldn't you? Because if not, you're not going to make up enough money. No, I, I disagree. I think it's a it's actually a mixture of of both what you have said and what I have said in terms of we've got to encourage spending in in our in our economy, and by doing that, we can also there, there is no um, kind of wrongdoing in stopping the the increase of, of investment in our kind of services for the time being, whilst our economy starts growing from from the general public. And then from that, we can then look to go on to the government's agenda. And I, and I that's the way I think it should be done. Um, in terms of actually having those cutbacks, I suppose I don't think that we should be having cutbacks as such. We should just be freezing the bucket of money in investing in those services. Right. And um, what what option do you think is going to come out on top here? Um, I think that, to be honest, I think the keep to the pre-lockdown government's agenda will probably come out on top. How about you? Yeah, I, I think probably it will as well. Right, it's time for you guys to vote away on this question. So that question again is, what is the best approach for the British government to take to recover from a post-lockdown economic slump? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And those options again are increase taxes, introduce more austerity, keep to the pre-lockdown government agenda or other. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before the break, we asked, what is the best approach for the British government to take to recover from a post-lockdown economic slump? And you guys have been voting away. Very interesting results here. So 51% of you said keep to the pre-lockdown government agenda. 35% of you said other. 
Uh, 10% of you said introduce more austerity and 4% said increase taxes. Uh, George, obviously, we both um, predicted that people would say stick to the government agenda, but obviously others very, very interesting there. I mean, what sort of ideas do you think people had there? Oh, don't ask me that, Callum. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know, really. I mean, I suppose you could go for the different approach. I suppose that you could argue that Labour might take in which in borrowing money to try and secure our economy um, gets that investment that it needs. But I, I think in terms of long term, borrowing money is never a good thing to do. Um, but I, I, I'm actually surprised of, of how high austerity got in terms of 10 percent um i really thought that was going to be one of the like about three percent four percent so i'm very surprised at that are you yeah i guess i am um surprised at that and, and i think also on the other and it shows you weren't you weren't listening to J james in the break there uh, george because <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously other could also be where people don't really like any of those options but right. they so they maybe i think there's probably a little bit of that in there as well yeah, probably. Right. OK, so let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And as I always say, the most important discussion that we will be having. So we're asking, will physical money ever cease to exist? So the future of cash has become an ongoing debate, but mostly among econ economists. For the average person, it's a moot point, since we have access to a variety of forms of payment. There's no conflict, really. But if I look at myself, for example, I very rarely carry any cash on me. Um, and I always use my card or my phone to pay for things. So, Callum, what do you think? Is it time to we get rid of the pennies, the pounds and the notes? Um, I think we will get to a stage where physical money does to a certain extent cease to exist in that I don't think people will really be expected to carry physical money anymore. Um, I think we've been moving a lot towards that kind of system and I think it's probably inevitable that eventually a lot of places just won't accept cash um, because, you know, it, it's just easier to, to, to use credit cards in many ways. Um, I, I used to be very much a big fan of having physical money um, in that I think it's much easier to keep track of what you're spending. And I do stand by that. But I do know that, um, I mean, it's been ages really since I've made any kind of real purchase. But um, uh, normally I, I would always use my um, my card and I'd, I'd tap contactless and, and, you know, you don't even really think about it. So, and I guess most people are kind of more going towards that even if they do have some kind of reservations and know that probably physical money is kind of easier to keep track of um what, what do you think george i i um when i was younger i always used to keep cash um I, this was when i was about like 10 or 11 i used to when i was like my birthday and used to get get given money for your birthday and yeah um i used to think i was like really really rich when i had about 80 pounds in my bank account um it might well you know physical cash going around and I, I used to be really proud of myself um and but now as as time goes on i just don't like the idea of having cash in my wallet i i used to always have cash in my wallet um because as Callan says it is a really easy way to track on what you're spending um but now i i very i just get my card out and i just put it on um a card reader do you i i don't want to sound really big-headed but 
ever since I became employed, I have been less careful with what I spend money on um, because I know the money will be there. So I think by having car- a card, it's just been easy, you know, just to put, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll just pay for that, whatever. Um, but obviously... <laughs> Now, since since the latest purchase, I'm going to have to be very careful with money um, and and actually plan out money and things. Um, but do you, when when you were employed, Callum, did you kind of get that? Were you a bit more comfortable about spending stuff, so you were more reliable on your card? Yeah, I definitely became a bit more because it, it's but it's I think it's weird when you go for your first or when you get your first full time job to suddenly. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't I wasn't making millions or anything, <laughs> but to suddenly have a regular paycheck that was fairly substantial, it was really really strange. Um, and I was just thinking, George, when when you said um, about that you used to like having money when you were younger, and I was just thinking, if we got rid of physical cash, mm. what would you put in a piggy bank? Would you just would you go like grandparents when they give you pocket money? Would they tap their card on the piggy bank or? Uh, it, you would, you would, I would I would print out a bank statement to to prove my transaction that I've just done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> sounds like a good plan. <laughs> Put that in the card. Yeah. Oh dear. And and how do you think this poll was going to go? Um, I think most people will say it will cease to exist. We'll say sixty percent. What about you? Oh, I'm gonna again go for higher. I'm gonna say eighty percent. But let's find out why. Uh, having you guys vote on this poll. So will physical money ever cease to exist? And you can do that at wizardbrain.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked the question, will physical money ever cease to exist? And as always, you guys have been voting away on that poll. So the results have just come in. 76% of you have said, yes, it will cease to exist. And 24% of you said, no, we're always going to have cash in our wallet. Callum, I suppose, as always, I was kind of right there. (laughs) You've had a good week this week, George, and um, yeah. we'll move on from it now. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Okay, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to To Be Discussed with Kuppinger. We do really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your answers to the question, what is the one thing lockdown has made you appreciate more or learn about yourself? You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter. That's at wizardradio. So remember that question is, what is the one thing that lockdown has made you appreciate more or learn about yourself? And we're really looking forward to hearing those opinions next week. But it's now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Callum Kerr. And I've been George Cutt. Remember everybody to keep that positive mindset Uh, stay local and make sure that we are doing everything we can to get through this virus because I promise there is light at the end of the tunnel but thanks very much for listening everybody we'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed To Be Discussed